Happy Sabbath again, church. Today we are continuing through Ephesians. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 3 today, and we're going to look at verses 8 through 10. We'll also uh, be in the book of Romans later on as well. Ephesians chapter 3, 8 through 10. It says, To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Let's pray. God in heaven, we pray as we look at this passage today and what it means 2,000 years ago, as well as what it means for us today. Please guide me with your Holy Spirit, God. May this be your message and not mine. And I ask that you would open each heart here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Many of you are are familiar, you still remember the great financial crisis of 2008, where people all over the world uh, lost lots of money in the stock market, businesses uh, went under, And many people lost their jobs or had pay cuts. And I remember when I was in Yokohama, there's a man there, uh, Sakamoto's son, who was getting baptized not too long after I arrived uh, there in Yokohama, (coughs) Japan. And I remember talking to him. Sakamoto's son came to my home a few times and we would fellowship together. Very kind man. And I remember him telling me his testimony. He was not a Christian. He wasn't raised in a Christian home. He didn't really have uh, too much influence in his life. But after the uh, economy crashed in 2008, uh, the business that he was working for was going to demote him. Now, uh, in Japanese culture, uh, they typically do everything else they can before they fire people. Uh, it's quite different as it is here in the United States. But to be demoted, even in that culture, for many is quite shameful. They feel shamed. They feel like they've lost uh, uh, their their dignity. They feel like they've lost their identity. And so even with the demotion, Sakamoto-san was contemplating suicide. And uh, he was very depressed. And as he was walking down uh, a neighbor, he was walking down a neighborhood, his, uh, our neighborhood. He saw the Seventh-day Adventist church in Kame no Koyama. That's the city that, that it was in, or the town. And so he thought, well, what can I lose? He's heard something about this, this God and this Jesus, and he was desperate. So he walked into the church, and he began talking to some of the leaders of the church. He began talking uh, to the church members and they began to tell him about a God who loves him. And they began to tell him 
about the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, he had never truly heard this message before. He didn't understand what it was all about. But once they explained it to him, and they talked about how God forgives our sins, how God was the creator, and they explained all these, these mysteries as, as it was to him, he learned about a God who loves him. And he chose not to take his own life. And not too long after Sakamoto's son was baptized in the secular culture, because the church was there, the church building, had, they had been preaching the message in Japan for many years. Thank God for the church presence there. And because of this, they were able to, to draw this man to Christ and to explain to him these mysteries, so to speak. And you have to live there to understand that Japan is a beautiful, wonderful place, but it is very secular and very void of the things of God. It is about 1% Christian. Maybe some statistics say about 15 or 2%, and most of them are Catholic, and there are very few Protestants. So you see, it's, it's, there's a lot of atheism, there's a, there's a lot of uh, Buddhism, there's a lot of these other kind of, of, uh, of beliefs, but Christianity is an extremely small percentage. So it's, it's quite a, a secular uh, uh, culture. And so it's amazing that this man, who wasn't brought up in the church, can walk down the street and thank God the Seventh-day Adventist Church was there and that he could actually come connected to God because of the testimony and the witness of that church. You have to understand how small their presence was. Yet God, in his providence, brought the two together, even in the secular culture. And I share that story with you today to show how Paul, preaching his writing to the Ephesians here, is actually talking about the same things are happening here in Ephesians. Those same things, the same mission of the church, the same circumstances and providence of God that took place 2,000 years ago is still happening today in the 21st century. Amen? Amen. Paul is writing this message to the Ephesians uh, which if some of you are not aware uh, that the, the Ephesus, the city of Ephesus in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, it is located on the very western part of what is modern-day Turkey. It's very close to the sea. The city of Ephesus was a large city. It was one of the foremost cities in Asia. Uh, it was a center of finances. It was a center of politics uh, and it was a center of paganism. Very, very pagan society. And as I mentioned before in uh, sermons past, that uh, they actually had the uh, temple of the goddess Diana. It was centered there, if some of you remember, from Acts chapter 19. This was the center of the worship of this goddess. But it was, it was a very superstitious city. There was lots of magical arts taking place in Ephesus. And I'd like to read a commentary here by William Barclay. He gives us a little insight into what was happening in Ephesus. He says that in Ephesus there poured a stream of criminals of every kind, 
fugitives from the law, escapers and avoiders of justice, and into Ephesus there flowed a torrent of credulous, superstitious people. For in a superstitious world, Ephesus was well nigh the most superstitious in the world. He further explains that the reputation of the citizens of the city was notoriously bad. And the people were regarded as fickle, superstitious, and immoral. Gives you an idea of of what was happening in Ephesus. In Ephesus lived the famous philosopher Heraclitus, known as the weeping philosopher, who, it was said, never smiled. Well, how can you smile when you see all that stuff going on around you? According to an ancient writing, he never laughed or smiled because he lived amidst terrible uncleanness of the inhabitants of Ephesus, who were fit only to be drowned. This was his own writings. The people of Ephesus were fit only to be drowned. So this is the city that the church is living in. This this is the kind of context in which these Ephesians are living in. And you can imagine as many of them are starting to become Christians, so many that that the men who made the idols for the goddess Diana and others, they are saying we're losing business because they're not buying our idols anymore because so many Christians are popping up here and there. And you can imagine this was a stronghold for Satan. This is a stronghold for the enemy, for superstition and immorality and all these other things. This is the kind of place that these people lived in. Yet, as we read the book of Ephesians and we see later on the history of the church in Ephesus, it was in this city that some of the greatest victories of the gospel were won. Some of the greatest victories in the gospels happened in the city of Ephesus. And you know, church, I think today, as I have uh, been visiting some of you and talking with some of you, that there are many of you today who are very concerned about the world that we're living in. Amen? I mean, look around us and and all the turmoil and everything that's happening in the world. But even more than this, as I talk to you, some of you are, are, are worried about your children and the things that they are exposed to or that they are doing. That some of you are worried about uh, uh, your, your marriages or you're worried about other loved ones or you're worried about your health. You're worried about all these things that are taking place in your life and wondering how can God bring anything good out of this. Living in this kind of world and in these circumstances, it seems so bleak sometimes, doesn't it? It appears as if Satan is winning the battle. It appears as if Satan is overcoming. It appears as if he is taking control. And so sometimes we can feel this sense of hopelessness and wonder. Where is God? What what is going on? How can we ever make it out of this situation the right way? And so as we read this letter to the Ephesians, Paul wants to remind them of who they are and the victory that they have in Jesus. 
Read with me, if you will, again in verse 8. To me who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, in uh, some translations, it will say unfathomable riches of Christ. In some translations, it might even say untraceable riches of Christ. And the idea is that it has the idea of somebody tracking somebody's footsteps, but unable to find the end. There's no way to find the end. There's no way to find the end of the riches of Jesus Christ. And he's trying to lead them and and help them to understand who they are and what they actually have, the blessings that they have in Jesus Christ. If they would just turn their minds to the things of Jesus Christ, they would be blown away. And verse 9, And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages had been hidden in God, and who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and the powers in the heavenly places. Now, as I was reading this passage, it it came to my attention that Paul is intentionally using a certain kind of language here. What do I mean by that? In verse 8, he talks about the unsearchable riches of Christ. There's no way to find their end. In verse 9, he says, And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery. He uses this word mystery a few times in chapter 3. And in verse 10, he says, To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers of the heavenly places. And this kind of language, the unsearchable riches of Christ, the mystery of God, and the manifold wisdom of God, we see that as God is unfolding the plan of salvation, and as he's trying to teach the Ephesians their place in God, that we're starting to see the mind of God. That God is inviting the Ephesians and he's inviting us into his plans. He's he's inviting us into his presence and he wants to reveal himself to us. But here's the problem. God's plans and his purposes are so infinite, are so great, are so mysterious to our finite minds that we can never completely and totally understand everything. Even if God reveals in the Bible and through the preaching of the Apostle Paul and many others the unsearchable riches of Christ, we can never fully understand everything that God has for us. And I believe that we will be learning about God, we'll be learning about the plan of salvation, the goodness of God, the great controversy throughout all eternity. But I also think it helps us to understand that in our personal lives, there are things that happen. I know even for myself. There are things that have happened and there are things that have not happened that I have hoped for 
And I've often asked God, why? Why is this taking place? Why, why, is, why are, are these circumstances this way? What, how can this, this circumstance that is taking place, how can this be a part of God's good and perfect plan? And you know, church, this is where God requires us often to live by faith, doesn't it? Because we will never fully understand this side of heaven why God allows certain things to happen the way that they do. Why God tolerates certain things or why God initiates certain things. But I want to encourage us, and I think that that Paul is trying to encourage the church as well too, and he's trying to help the Ephesians understand that your individual life and your church and where you live is a part of God's divine plan. That God has something so big taking place, that God has this, this controversy that he's trying to bring to an end, and your life is a very important piece of that puzzle. The, the outcome of your life, the decisions that you make to choose whether to follow God and trust Him or whether to not do that is so absolutely important. And why is it so important? Because other people are watching us. But also, as Paul says here, that even the heavenly authorities and powers are watching us as well too. He says here in verse 10, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. What that means, church, is that even the angels, both fallen and unfallen, are watching our lives. That they are learning from us. Could you imagine that? They are learning from the experiences that each and every one of us is having. I don't know if you know this, but there's a great controversy going on, isn't there? Between good and evil. There is this great controversy about the character of God. Is He really good? Is He really just? Is is His law good? Is He really loving? And, And between Him and Satan... What is, what is his character? Is he right in his accusations against God? Is he right in saying that it's God's fault, that there is suffering and pain? Is he right in saying that all the trouble in your life is really God's fault? And so there's this great controversy taking place. There's something bigger than each and every one of us. But every single one of our lives is a very important piece of the puzzle in bringing an end to this great controversy. It's in a very important part in revealing the true character of God. So I want to encourage you today, church, that whatever's going on in your life, please remember that you're part of something greater. Your life is part of something greater. And as it was for the Ephesians, that they were being... Uh, Paul was trying to teach them their oneness with the people of God. That they are a part of the body of Christ, the church of God. And that this truth was a mystery kept hidden 
for the, from the, for, since the ages, but now is being revealed not only to the world, but to the heavenly powers as well. There is a great controversy taking place in which the Ephesian church was under attack from Satan as they lived in a sinful generation. And it is true for us today as well. Every single one of our lives and the trials that we are going through is a piece of that puzzle in the great controversy. But here's the thing. People will not understand this mystery unless we tell them. Just like Sakamoto's son, if that church had not been there in that neighborhood, would he have ever learned the truth about Jesus Christ? Would he have ever learned the truth of the Bible or the Sabbath or the state of the dead? Would he have ever learned about the second coming of Christ if that church had not faithfully fulfilled its mission in a foreign land? Where would Sakamoto's son be today? He might have committed suicide. His family might have had to suffer the repercussions of such a thing. So you see how important the church is in giving this truth, revealing this mystery to the world. But I want to encourage us today, church, because we get in the habit of just disseminating information, don't we? You know, just, just maybe just handing out a book or a tract, that's really good. But I want to encourage us today to become more involved with people's lives like never before. It's kind of like we were talking about in Sabbath school today, how important it is. One of the most important things that we can do as we teach others, our children, our neighbors, our friends, family members, is to actually have a compassionate relationship with them, to build companionship with people. And I believe that it is through this avenue that we are most effective in reaching people for Christ. I want to end with this illustration. Again, uh, when I was in Yokohama, I remember after we had our uh, missionary retreat and we were coming back to, uh, to our uh, mission posts and I remember a friend, he was a missionary in Chiba, that's east of Tokyo. We all were coming back to our places, and he came back with me. He was stopping at my house, uh, my apartment, before he went on to Chiba, where he was teaching uh, as a missionary. And I remember he came to my home, my apartment, and uh, Manabu was his name. He was a little bit younger than me, but he was very bright, very smart, good guy. I, I really like Manabu. And he stayed the night at my apartment, and the next day he was going to go on to his place. And uh, I, as, as he came in, we're talking at my table, and we're talking about the mission work and all these other things. I had an Rubik's Cube on my table. You know what a Rubik's Cube is, that little cube? And, um, you know, I, I used to be so immature with my money. Thank God uh, for, you know, changing me on that. But I, I remember one time I just walked into a store and I just bought this a Rubik's Cube and I had no clue how to use it. 
Okay? So I would try and try, brought it home, I try and try to get like one side with all white and the next side with all green and the next side with all red. You know, I'd get three sides right and I was excited, but I could never really get further than that. I just couldn't figure that thing out, no matter how many times I tried. Does anybody here know how to get in a Rubik's Cube right? It's difficult. Have anybody here ever tried in a Rubik's Cube? I think most people have. So we're, we come in, we sit down, we start talking. He sees this Rubik's Cube. He picks it up and he starts working on this thing. He starts flipping the, the sides and doing all this. And as we're talking, by the way, and before long, I didn't take him very long, he had the Rubik's Cube completed. And I was stunned. I said, Manabu, I've been working on that thing for months. How can you do it in 15 minutes while we're talking? And it turns out Manabu was a math major in college. He's very smart. But he said it's actually not just trying to figure it out. There's actually a way to get this Rubik's Cube right. So he started showing me, you get these colors, the four corners on one side, this is how you start. And then on this other side, this is, this is how you get these colors going. And he showed me, step by step, how to work with the Rubik's Cube. I said, huh, now I think I can do that. No, I did not. <laughs> So as he's working, you know, he's showing me, you know, it's getting late, and then I try to start kind of working on it. But we're talking, you know, I wanted to have some fellowship. So I was like, well, I know how to do it, so I'll work on it tomorrow. And so next day, Manabu left, and I said, okay, I, I think I got this, a Rubik's Cube. So I started working on the Rubik's Cube, and I, for the life of me, I couldn't figure it out. I could not get that Rubik's Cube. You know what I really needed was Manabu to stay with me and show me how to put that thing together again and again. And I believe if he would have just worked with me a little bit longer, I hoped, I hoped that I could get that thing going. It was a mystery to me, okay? And to this day, I don't think I could ever figure out a Rubik's Cube unless somebody explains it to me. Church, that is our mission. God says it, it is His intention that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and the powers and the heavenly places. If, if we don't teach people about Jesus, we don't teach them the truth, if we don't, live, if we don't get involved with people's lives, they will never know. They'll be trying to work on it till their dying day and they could be lost. This is what God wants us to do. This is the mystery that many people don't even know that they're looking for. Some of you have your testimonies. You know that you are looking for something before you found Jesus. It was like, what is it? What is this? What am I looking for? What is it that I need? And it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's, it's a, the message of a loving God. It's a loving church to embrace them and bring them in. This is our mission as a church. Today, I want to encourage us that each and every one of us, through Jesus Christ, we are victorious. And we need to help other people be victorious as well. God has designed the church as the one 
agency, the one instrument in the world through which he is going to be known. He's not going to send the angels down here to do it. The, the nature isn't literally going to cry out. He's not going to write it in the sky. It's our mission. It's our mission. And I hope and I pray that each and every one of us will take hold of that passion that Paul had and that he was passing on to the church and that like Sakamoto's son and so many others, people would know Christ through the church. Let's pray. God in heaven, we uh, thank you so much, Lord, for revealing this truth, this mystery to us. Uh, We just ask God today as we go out uh, to share your love with others that you would anoint us today. Please be with each one. We ask a blessing upon the rest of this Sabbath day. May our minds be upon the things of heaven. We ask and pray. Thank you again in Jesus' name. Amen.